I love that. I love that. And last week, I forgot to show the baptism video in this gathering. And I wanted y'all to see it because that's the deal. That's what it's all about. And we're, we're right in the middle of a series entitled Next. We've been investing several weeks talking about taking the next steps. And 99 people followed Jesus, what was it, two weeks ago, beach baptism. Isn't that awesome? That is so good. I'm so so proud of you. If you got baptized, would you stand? If you were one of those that got baptized, would you stand? Yeah. I like that shirt, sir. It's awesome. Thank you. You may be seated. I just wanted to celebrate. Wanted to celebrate. Maybe you're here and you're like, I was out of town. Or you're like, man, I was a little, a little shy to get baptized, a little scared. Or maybe you had to work or whatever it was. We are going to have another beach baptism in September before it gets cold, and we want you to sign up online. We've asked God for 150 baptisms between the two beach baptisms, and we already got 99, so we're really, really close. And uh, each one of these balloons, I want to say thank you to the guys that made this happen. We're going to do this every week, but so thankful for each one of these balloons because this kind of just gives you an idea, man. Each one of those balloons, 99, represents a life that was changed. And I uh, just want to celebrate that. I want to talk to you guys real quick and give a little bit of vision. And then I want to jump right into the message. Um, I want to talk to you guys about what we did last year. And actually, I think we've done it since the very beginning. And that's called Generous July. Generous July. Did you have a good fourth? Did everybody have a good fourth? How many ate too much? All right. How many shot some fireworks off? How many got stuck in traffic? All right. There we go. There we go. Um, Generous July. Thank God for our freedom, right? Thank God for our freedom. If you've never really fully understood freedom, man, I didn't, I'd challenge you to, to go to Galatians 5 and read. And Christ says that freedom grows when we serve each other. And you know, our military, that's exactly what they do, don't they? They serve us to protect us. Thank God for our men and our women that protect us. Thank God. Let's pray for them. Let's do that, right? Let's pray for them. Let's pray for our leaders. Even if you didn't vote for them, you pray for them and, and um, believe God to do the impossible because the truth is the answer is not being a Republican or a Democrat that's going to save this world. The answer is Jesus. Just thought I might get a little amen right there. Um, in generous July, generous July, what we do is we realize we recognize our freedom and we are free to live and we're also free to give. And we realize that the highest level of living is giving. And so I want to call God's people to sacrifice. I think that's a good thing. You read in the Bible, you see over and over and over again. And in fact, Jesus says something like, pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Like, it's a good thing to sacrifice. There's things called spiritual disciplines in our life. And um, I want to challenge us this July to give. Specifically, we're going to have two additional offerings on the 20th, I believe, and 27th of July. And um, that is going to be for Generous July. Last year we did that to help get our kids up to speed. And so many of you, you gave sacrificially, and we were able to go out and buy. For those of you that have joined us recently, you don't know this, but, but our first through fifth grade, I believe, that is um, the big city. The big city meets in this building right over here. It's, it's kind of like half a gym with carpet in there. And, you know, this is a middle school. I know it looks um, like Momentum Church, and it is. But um, 
the uh, school meets here at the church. And, and so they, um, they used that over there. And we just had our kids. We, we did not have a lot for our kids because we'd invested so much in this environment for us. I mean, we, we needed to do a lot in here. And so they were doing a great job with little. And so I challenged our church to give and to give financially and to give sacrificially. And the deal is not the big, how big the check is. The, the, the deal is how much are you willing to sacrifice? And God calls us to do that. And so it's my privilege and honor to call this church to sacrifice because we're going to launch Momentum in Navarre. And the reason why we're going there is because people in Navarre need a church to go to in Navarre. We need to create environments for people who are unchurched and lost from God, who are far from God, who would not drive all the way here, but they will go to a church that was created strategically with them in mind. They'll go to that and their life will be forever changed. And I want to tell us something, um, remind us of something today. People sacrifice to get us where we're at today. All you got to do is be a parent and realize, holy cow, mom and dad did all this, right? People sacrificed, and, and this is a giving church, and I thank God for you, and thank you, man, our children. They are loving it, Momentum Kids. They, they are benefiting from our sacrifice, and now I want to call us to sacrifice again for us launching another campus. This is campus number two in Navarre. We're going to launch it September 14th, and we're going to meet monthly for several months, and then we're going to go into weekly. And so you guys be praying, you guys be giving, and you guys be believing God for great things. I want to believe God for 500 right off the bat. Can I just throw that out there? We run 500 here. I want to believe God for 500 over there. Navarre is huge, and Navarre is untapped. And the truth is there are many churches um, like us here in Gulf Breeze. I don't think there's anything like us in Navarre. And I'm excited for what God's going to do. And I want to tell you something. It takes money to do ministry. It does. And I want to call our church to sacrificially pray and be willing to sacrificially give to say, God, what would you have me give? And as a pastor of this church, I'll never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. My wife and I have already given sacrificially because we believe the greatest thing that we can invest in is the kingdom of God. We don't own this church. This is Jesus' church. And one day, when we live forever and ever in heaven, only one thing is going to count. And that's what we did for Jesus. And that's what we invested in. I'm telling you, I love, I love our home and thank God for our cars and all that kind of stuff. But we won't take it with us and it won't last forever. Only what we send up. Only what we send up is what's going to show up when we get to heaven. So I'm telling you, live for eternal things. Are you with me? Somebody say, I'm ready. Someone say, I'm ready to give. Somebody say, I'm ready to give sacrificially. Okay. Amen. Amen. You know what I love about you guys? Y'all are honest people, man. You say it, it's going to happen. And you know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? God is going to breathe. And there are going to be families that are hanging by balance. They're, they're hanging by a thread. They're going to be children that are going to get a new daddy. <laughs> be marriages that will be restored. I mean, what? So many of you guys said, man, thank you. Thank you so much for coming to Gulf Breeze. What if we never go to Navarre? What if we never go to Navarre? You're going to see a powerful story in just a few minutes. 
People, people are reached when we step out of our comfort zone and, and story is powerful. I, w- I want to recap real quick. I want to recap real quick um, about this series, Next Steps. We've, we've been talking about a couple things. And number one, we said that we all have a next step to take. We all have next steps. Everyone here. We never arrive till we get to heaven. Paul said, I don't think that I've arrived, but this one thing I do. We never arrive. It's continual growth by continual taking those next steps. We all have a next step to take. Number two, taking steps lead to growth. Taking steps lead to growth. At the beginning of the year, we make our New Year's resolutions. We're like, okay, maybe you need to shrink. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I need to grow in my discipline area. Or I need to grow financially this year in the discipline area of financially setting money aside. And so when you take that step and you go meet with that financial advisor and then you listen to what they say and you apply it, then what happens is, or you go to the gym and you not only join it, but you show up. You not only join it and show up, but you work out, you know? Um, what happens is you've taken a step and that step will lead to growth. Taking steps toward God, towards God, always leads to growth. Second Peter 3.18, the last verse in Peter, Peter tells us this. He says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to him be all glory. So God wants us to grow. How do we grow? We grow by taking steps. But I want to tell you and remind us today that in the series, we point, I pointed out that, that growth, growth always requires intentionality. Growth always requires intentionality. In other words, you don't just get signed up in that gym membership. Maybe your spouse signs you up. But besides that, right, it doesn't just happen. You don't all of a sudden get a million dollars in the bank. You have to be detailed. You have to be on it. You have to watch your money. You have to be wise and make wise decisions to save. And maybe you think, well, a million dollars way out there, but, but what about 1000 and 10000 What about believing God for the impossible in your life, freedom to be free from debt? Well, it always Growth always requires intentionality. Or I could say it this way, that growth is intentional and it is never accidental. It's not like, oops, it doesn't work that way. Last week, I, last week I spoke, the title of the message was The Power of Story. The Power of Story. So let's recap. We recap the series. Let's recap the message real quick. Um, number one, we all have a story. Say that with me. Ready? We all have a story. Number two, Your story and my story, our story is powerful. Our story is powerful. And number three, our story matters to God. Now, you might be here in this gathering today and you might be thinking, um, my past and my story has really eliminated me, Tim. Maybe that's what you would say. It's eliminated me. But I want to tell you, it's not eliminated you. It has propelled you. Jesus has something different to say about that today. Your misery, we said last week, can become your greatest opportunity for ministry. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Your greatest weakness? Paul said, I boast in my weakness. Because when I am weak, then God is strong. And so in my weakness, I'm empowered to help other people. Through the very same thing. And then the takeaway, the thought that I wanted you to remember last week. We said this, that, that in our story lies the key. It lies the key to unlock others. Do you remember? Future 
and their freedom. That in my story and in your story, in our story, lies the key to unlock others' future and freedom. And I explained that last week. And this week, I want to explain it through a video. I want you guys to look at the screens. My friend John, John, uh, I'm not sure if he's at this gathering or if he'll be at the next gathering, but getting ready to do his wedding in a week. He's pumped. Him and Mindy are getting married. And um, John has a very powerful, powerful story. Everyone has a story. Every story is powerful, and every story matters to God. Would you look at the screens? was brought up in a broken home. Uh, we did go to church, but it was a confusing lifestyle. One parent was really trying to follow Jesus, and the other person was just going to church, being a churchgoer. Um, I dealt with abuse and alcoholism uh, from my father, and had to watch the effects of just a broken marriage and uh, my mother trying to stay with my father to bring him around to Christ and I used those things as excuses to do what I wanted to do. I left home basically anytime I could, ran around, did whatever I could and uh, just really got involved like we all want to say with the wrong crowd but it was intentionally my own heart's desires and the things that I was doing. I didn't really want any part of the church crowd. I just wanted to focus on things that I thought were gonna make me successful. I saw my parents fighting about money, so I figured if I just had as much money as I could possibly get, I wouldn't have any problems, I wouldn't have anything to fight anyone else about. Um, around about eighth grade, uh, because I've been running around, hitting the streets basically anytime I could at night and just staying out with other lost and confused kids. I had uh, caught my first gun charges in eighth grade and only because of uh, God's grace again and also with uh, some lawyers through my parents was able to escape those charges, which was not good for me, honestly. I should have faced the consequences, but uh, I was sent to Atlanta to live for a year. While up there, I got more involved with crime, more involved with gangs, I've actually caught grand theft auto charge, um, got really involved into graffiti as well. Uh, sports was another avenue that I could really just try to get away from the house. I didn't want to be around my grandparents because they talked about Jesus all the time. So while I was there, I lived there for about a year, uh, followed you know, every possible lifestyle that I could think that was away from the Lord. I got more involved with drugs. Um, at this point, I was in the ninth grade, uh, had been smoking weed and experimenting with drugs and alcohol from about seventh grade to this point where I didn't really think it was a problem. It was something on the weekends that I did. From there, um, after I caught even more charges, realizing that, you know, if I'm going to continue this lifestyle, I'm either going to have to be a little bit more sneaky or get away from my family. And the day before I moved back to Florida, I actually got arrested over some graffiti charges. And, you know, started noticing that my consequences really were affecting my family. It stopped the whole moving process and everyone was upset. But, uh, you know, again, I sat in jail for a little while and 
someone bailed me out. And I was back to what I wanted to do again and just leaving, leaving my family in the dust and behind my, uh, basically just behind everything that I was doing. When we moved back to Florida, I really didn't want anything to do with my family. Uh, my parents at this point are divorced. Uh, went back to Navarre High School. It's actually where I, I graduated, and that was only due to uh, sports, lies, and false uh, excuses, saying and doctor's notes saying that you know I had excuses for missing school when I really didn't. But uh, while I was there, you know, I definitely met some uh, strong leadership and guys that still poured into me in that school and that uh, ultimately did lead to some seeds being planted. While I was there, uh, I moved out from my parents' house, uh, started doing my own thing, got even more involved with drugs and alcohol, uh, started dealing at a much larger scale, uh, really got trapped into that lifestyle, saying that that's what I wanted to do, that that was where all this fame and success was going to come from. Basically, you know, any type of movie or watching the culture of hip hop around this area and just on TV, you know, that's what they're promoting, promoting that, you know, this drug dealing life and this crime was going to get me somewhere. And the only place it got me was a place of depression, defeat, and ending up in bondage. By the time I was 21, I was so deeply involved in addiction with uh, pain pills and opiates that I just, if I didn't have them, I wanted to die basically every day and it felt like I was going to die without them. I know that uh, God was still, still in effect in my life the whole time. He never let me go and he was able to, to reach out in ways that I would not even have seen fit or understand at that time. But one day, uh, actually after an overdose and uh, alcohol poisoning, woke up for probably about two days that I was out cold. And uh, I heard some people talking about how they were planning on burying me if I didn't wake up. And things got very real for me. I knew that if I didn't get away from this lifestyle that I was gonna be in a grave literally and it was going to be a very short-lived life. I cried out to God. Uh, he heard me. I really meant it that I needed to get out of this lifestyle, but I didn't know how. I was so enslaved and trapped in it. And uh, it wasn't two weeks later from even more decisions that I was doing on my own, but uh, so belligerent on drugs that for whatever reason I decided that, you know what, it'd be a good idea to leave around 8 o'clock at night and just start going into random people's houses and trying to steal anything I could and uh, had no regard if they were home or not. I was just so messed up that I wasn't thinking clearly. I wasn't planning any of this out in if there was a good way to plan it. But uh, through that, it actually gave me an opportunity to get the help that I needed. Uh, I got arrested by a same detective that actually offered me a program to go to in Pensacola for a year long. Uh, only two weeks prior to the arrest and uh, they definitely uh, threw as many charges as they possibly could at me and it was my own actions that did this but uh, the grace had ran, ran short in my mind and uh, I really had to face the consequences of my sin this time. While I was sitting in jail is really where I met Jesus for the first time. 
after two months of trying to manipulate every single person and every way out of the situation, I started seeing people that I had ran drugs with coming back from federal prisons and testifying. And uh, about two, two different uh, people that I grew up under with maybe, with definitely being role models in the drug dealing scene, started being role models in a Jesus follower scene. And they were, they were real for me. They were able to share with me and let me know why I needed to change. Uh, through that, I gave my life to the Lord around December 18th uh, of 2008. And I was able to really find a peace that I never would have been able to explain or fathom while I was in jail. People would ask me while I was smiling, why? why I had a look of hope on my face. I sat in jail over in Milton for about seven months, knowing that God was gonna do something amazing in my life, but not sure what it was yet. I was headed to prison for a minimum of seven years and a maximum of 55 years. And in my seventh month being there, um, my last court date, the Lord put on the judge's heart to to ask me what I what I needed and I was able to have that opportunity only through God's divine intervention with the state's attorneys and the public's defenders arguing at each other that he basically had enough and just wanted to hear my story. I told him that I knew I did the wrong thing and knew I needed to face my consequences, but I needed to learn how to live a life in obedience to Christ. I asked to go to Pensacola Teen Challenge where I was gonna learn how to do this. It was gonna be a discipleship program. It was at least a minimum of a year long. And I'd asked for it to be placed with my prison sentence, expecting that I was going to prison that day for nine years. And that's what they had said. I said that that was my sentence and that's where I was going. And Jesus stepped in, touched the judge's heart and changed things. After I got done talking about how I would like to go to Teen Challenge. The judge said if I was for real, that I could go today. I was able to leave jail that night, go to Teen Challenge and start a process of walking in obedience to Christ. He's then since changed my life in ways that I can't even, can't even fathom. I could have never even seen just as Jeremiah 29 11 talks about having a hope and a future it was something that I never had before. And I just thank him for all that. And he's completely wiped away my probation. He uh, stopped community control before it ever even came on. I wasn't supposed to be off probation until the end of 2016. I completely terminated with that, no legal obligations. Uh, I finished college at Pensacola State. I'm on my way to. University of West Florida right now. I went through two years of Emerging Leaders program with a Christian discipleship and leadership training. I'm a pastoral counselor with Pensacola Teen Challenge. I'm able to share hope with others that are struggling in the same addictions and the same lifestyle that I have. And I'm able to really share with them that I was blind, but Jesus, and now I can see I just want to thank you for the Lord. And I thank you for our Savior dying on the cross for all of our sins. 
that he came to us while we're still in our mess and that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to clean up to come to him. He's gonna accept us just how we are and he'll change us. Thank you for his love. And my life's just going above and beyond anything I could ever imagine. This 4th of July just uh, means ever so much more to me that I do have a freedom and that this next Friday I'll be getting married to my best friend, to my confidant, and uh, just a spiritual warrior that I'm able to share with. And uh, I just want to ex express my love to her, and that's Mindy. I thank you for the Lord bringing her into my life. But, uh, my name is John Hamby. This is my before and after. Isn't that awesome? Woo! John 9, John 9. Would you look at John 9? You have your Bibles, your phones real quick. John lived with Jesus. He saw Jesus do some incredible things. And, and today, um, I want to read, uh, read some verses because John 9 is given to a story just like, just like uh, uh, John's. Um, it, it's a difference maker. There's something happens and a guy's life is radically changed. Oftentimes in the Bible, you'll read different stories or different parables maybe within a chapter. But John, an eyewitness account of a miracle that took place. He dedicates an entire chapter, literally 41 verses in John chapter 9, for him as an eyewitness to explain exactly what he saw. I want you to look at John 9. We're going to read some verses together. It should be here on the screens, John 9. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. I want to stop right there and say, thank God that Jesus can see blind people. And this man was blind, the Bible says, from birth. Rabbi, that word rabbi literally means, it means my master. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was the man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? I mean, how many sins can a blind baby do? It was not, Jesus said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened, the reason he's blind, it happened so the power of God could be seen in him. In other words, your story is your story. My story is my story so God can get the glory. Jesus said we must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then Jesus, okay, then he spits on the ground and he makes mud. You know, boys love to play in mud, man. He makes mud with his saliva and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Now, let's just go there for a minute. Like, just really think about this for a minute. That's gross, right? Have you ever had mud in your eyes? I've had mud in my eyes. Last October, I think it was, we, we did the uh, Pensacola Mud Run. Throw up uh, two pictures here um, on the screen. I, I think the, uh, the first picture, um, 
I got to step down here to see it. The monitor's not working. Um, this one right here, man, this was at the very end. We had run the race, and my boys, we were just playing in the mud. You see, Gavin's got his eyes closed, man. We literally had mud in our eyes. And then the other picture was our team coming across. And we went down on that thing, man. It was amazing. Y'all need to do it with us. Anyone's welcome to come. But I want to tell you something. I had mud in my eyes. Now, that's, that's gross. Mud in your eyes is not good. But mud because someone spit in the dirt. And, and put that, I mean, Jesus, Jesus is spreading the mud. And he's putting it on the eyes of a blind man. This blind man. This blind man had a story. John goes on to tell us this. Jesus tells this blind man who was born blind from birth. By the way, he's a, he's a beggar. He's a beggar. He, he was born blind all all he knew was to ask people, can you help me? Please help me. I'm blind. I can't work. I'm hungry. Please, please put it here. And don't you know that people mocked him and misled him and did all kinds of mean things to this man who was a beggar? And all of a sudden, Jesus passes by. Woo. Mm. This is so good. Now Jesus tells the blind man to go wash himself. In the pool of Siloam. By the way, Siloam means sent. There's a blind man who's getting ready to be healed. And Jesus is telling the blind man to go find the pool, Siloam, himself. But he's blind. You see, this applies to you and I because in our faith stories and in our faith journeys, there are things that only we can do. God will not do some things for us. God won't. God won't. Bring a harvest if we're not willing to work. God won't bless a church if we're not willing to pray and fast and give. He's not going to do it. I mean, God can do anything. But the scripture actually says that, that there's some things God won't do. And, and now, now Jesus tells him to go find the pool of Siloam and wash himself. So the man went and he washed and he came back seen. All right, now get ready. Here's the story. His neighbors and others who knew him. As a blind beggar, they asked each other, isn't that the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. Others said, nah, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, 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 I'm the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, that man they called Jesus. He made mud and he spread it over my eyes. And he told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now. I can see. He told them. He told them. And then then verse 12. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know. He replied. Then they took the man who had been to the Pharisees. Who had been blind. They took him to the Pharisees. Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told him. He put mud over my eyes. And when I washed it away, I could see. First time they asked him. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. See, here's religion. Here are the rules. They missed Jesus. They thought they were living right, and they missed Jesus. Morality never, never is good enough to equal Jesus. Our best of our best, our Sunday best, can never earn favor with God. Never. 
And so the Pharisees are saying, okay. And, and so there was a deep division of opinion among them. Verse 17, then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind. This is number two, round two. And they demanded, what is your opinion about the man who healed you? And the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders, they still refused to believe the man. And I underlined that in my Bible. I highlighted that they still refused. They hardened their hearts. You know, when you give the gospel, there are people, and I I hope you don't do this today. If you're lost without Jesus, do not refuse to believe. Because that's the unpardonable sin. That's the one sin that will send you to an eternity without him. Is refusing him while you have life. Because he is life. And they refused to believe the man who had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. And they asked them, is this your son? Is that your boy? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he see? And his parents replied, we know this is our son. (laughs) Yeah, that's our boy. And that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. So his parents, they said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah, that's the same thing as saying Jesus is God, would be expelled from church, expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, out of fear, right? That's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. Verse 24, for the second time they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Verse 25, our text verse. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied. But I know this, I was blind. And now I can see. I've been holding that thing for 30 something years. And now I can go get a job. Because I can see. Something happened. The rest of the story, you ought to just read it. You ought to just read the rest of this uh, chapter. I don't have time to do that. But I want to give you a few things this morning. I want you to take some notes real quick. I want to talk to you a few things. Number one, I got thinking, I said to you earlier that you might be in this gathering thinking that your story has eliminated you. But I want to tell you something. Your story has you situated to empower you, to fuel you, to do incredible things in your life. You're, the whole past where you were blind and the past about the mud and the past about then, it was really awkward and, and you couldn't find the pool. You didn't know where you were going. You were confused in life. You were lost. You know which end was up. You had no purpose in your life, no direction. All that part of your story that, that made you sick is there because God sees you over here. Because God is in the, the, the now, sometimes, which is when we're over here, God's in the now, and God's in the later business. And there are people here today that you're spiritually blind. You need to see. There are people here today that, that you're emotionally blind. We need to see. People here today that, that you're addicted. You, you watch John's story and, and, and you're not addicted to, to those kind of drugs, but man, pain pills you're addicted to. 
Maybe not addictive pain pills, it's alcohol. Maybe it's not alcohol, maybe it's anger. Maybe it's not anger, maybe it's sex. You're addicted. I want to tell you something. Jesus is still in the business of helping blind people see. Next week, we're going to talk about your story. And here's, here's what I want you to do. I challenged you last week to write out your story. Here's some accountability. How many wrote out your story? Awesome. Three people. I want you to see me afterwards. Would you do that? Here's our challenge this week. Many of you weren't, some of y'all weren't here last week. And by the way, it's good to have the ladies. Thank y'all for being here with us today. It's the first time we're honored to have you. Ladies from Team Challenge. So glad you are here. Here's what I want everyone to do. From myself all the way down, here's what I want everyone to do. I want you to write the story, and then I want you to condense it. Here's the one principle, and I'm, I'm walking away. Here's the one principle we learned from John 9, 25. He had a story, and it was short. Stories are powerful if they're told right. And your greatest and my greatest, our greatest opportunity to reach our friends and to reach our families is not apologetics. Amen. Nothing wrong with studying so you know what's up. But I want to tell you something. Here's the deal. Your story is what's going to reach you. The power of the gospel in your story is what's going to help blind people see. So here's what I want you to do. Write out your story. And then number two, here was today's takeaway. Shorten it. Write out your story. Shorten it. John's story was almost 13 minutes. That was powerful. We wanted you to, we we chose not to edit it. We chose to let you see 13 minutes almost of his story. It's powerful. But, But he's not going to be able to say all that when he gets a moment. Sometimes God gives us a moment with people. And we need to have a story. We need to say, this was my life before. (laughs) It was horrible. (laughs) But then Jesus. Then Jesus. And this is my after. And people can argue all day about the deity of Christ. And people will tell you, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe that. It was written by men. Other people say, well, Christianity is a crux. It's a crux for weak people. It's a crux. It's 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 nothing. It's for weak people. But what they cannot do, listen to me, they cannot argue your story. When you used to be over here and everybody knew you were over here, and then something happened, they just, thought you, they just thought you just got religious. But you keep telling them, it wasn't religion, it was a relationship. By the way, when people say, no, 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 no. When they stop you, when you start talking about your story, and they're like, no, no, I'm not religious. And they were like that, shock the mess out of them. It's one of my favorite things to do. I look at them and say, I'm not religious either. And they're like, you know, they're like, it, it does. They're like brain freeze. They're like, ah, oh. it just throws them off. I'm not religious either. I hate religion. I really do. Because religion sends people to hell. Religion was Satan's plan. You got Christ and the Antichrist. Jesus 
was relationship. And Satan's like, all right, we're going to mimic it with religion and make them think it's all about what you do when Jesus said it's all done. Hallelujah. It's all done.